Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lanier. Do you believe you should give up on your dreams in order to be a better parent? Why does your development as a man impact your child more than any parenting technique or strategy? And can a Navy SEAL sniper really teach you how to be a better father? Eric Davis got through some gritty situations as a Navy SEAL by imagining what he would do if his kids were watching him. Today, we're talking about some key points from his book called Raising Men, lessons Navy SEALs learn from their training and taught to their sons. This is a great talk to check out, even if you're not a dad. Welcome to The New Man. Today I'm talking with Eric Davis. He was a Navy SEAL for a decade. He was a sniper instructor for guys like Marcus Luttrell, Chris Kyle, and uh, we're here to talk about parenting. He's the father to four kids. He became a parent when he was 19. He's here to talk about his latest book called Raising Men, Lessons Navy SEALs Learn from Their Training and Taught to Their Sons. Eric Davis, welcome, and thanks for talking today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, I got an email uh, from a mutual friend of ours, and he says you're getting ready to, basically said you're getting ready to get your ass beat. So why? What are you doing? Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, no, who's coming after me? Like... <laughs> Whose husband is it this time? Like, oh. um, I just, I just realized what you're talking about. Um, so yeah, we're doing a charity boxing event in England, and it's basically British SAS uh, guys that I respect and follow. I consider really the forefathers of special forces across the world. Like these guys are amazing, and their history is insane. And um, to get to touch gloves with guys like that's going to be so incredible. But yeah, the idea is, you know, we're going to uh, bring some awareness and raise some money for a variety of veteran charity groups. So uh, I, I train in jiu-jitsu all the time, but not boxing. So luckily, one of my coaches is an MMA guy. So I've been uh, putting on the boxing gloves and uh, I will have to start learning how to get punched in the face here before I show up. But yeah, I just got a few more weeks before we do that. <laughs> okay, right on, man. I'm glad you're doing that work. Um, yeah, I got to admit, when I when I got this email and I 
it was like, yeah, here, here's a Navy SEAL, here's a sniper, and he's here to talk about parenting. I was like, oh, that's a that's an interesting connection there. Um, I can imagine some people might think it's a bit of a stretch, but as I poured through your book, there are so many great lessons in, in, in there about this connection between some of the training that you've had and that you've also instructed in others and parenting. But I'm curious, like the big high-level overview, um, how did you make this connection between your, your Navy, Navy SEAL training and, and parenting? Yeah, really, the book idea actually, this was like long time ago. I mean, this is before SEAL started writing books. I was, I was, uh, had a couple different events. Uh, probably one of the first things is when I was going through SEAL training, I would always think about my kids, like whenever I wanted to, you know, you do flutter kicks where you're raising your feet up and down or pushups or sit-ups and you're like, all right, the instructor's not looking. Let me try to go ahead and like lay out here for a second. And I'd always think about my kids, like what would I do if my kids were watching me? So that was the first thing. And then I have a, a incident where I like almost died during land navigation. I just got so fatigued and dehydration. And my we I have these weird memories of my kids being on the side of the trail watching me. I'm like, all right, Eric, what would you do if they're here right now watching mm. you? So they really pulled me through. And then as I became a sniper instructor, I dove into human performance, you know, psychology, personal development, and you name it. I dove into it so heavy. And, and when you dive into performance at such a deep fundamental level, you see it everywhere. So uh, it's actually how I made the transition out of the military as well. I was like, okay, you know, fundamentals of high performance is all about behavior change. It's all about shaping somebody's behavior so that they could produce the desired result, which is basically another way to define parenting. And I just saw it left and right. And I would talk about it. And I would, as I trained my kids, I I trained them like I trained snipers, you know, different context, but it fits so well. And it really helped. And it really, really worked. I want to take a little tangent here because you, you became a parent and then you became a SEAL, which is, I imagine it's quite the opposite that a lot of guys are single and they may not even be married when they join the SEALs. How did you make that choice to say, hey, you know what, I'm a parent, but I'm going to actively seek ways to put myself in harm's way here. So yeah, tell me about that choice to be, to become a SEAL after you'd become a parent. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I knew I wanted, all I ever wanted to do is be a sheriff like my father. And, you know, you can't do that at 18. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go in the military. And I was looking at the army. And then I saw the movie Navy SEALs. And I went to the recruiter and I saw their tape. And I was like, that's the most toughest, most difficult thing I could possibly imagine. That's it. I got to do this. So I went in. I turned 18 in boot camp. Um, uh, Like you said, I had kids very young. So I was already on that path. I was already in that operational world. And there's plenty of guys married with kids and families inside of SEAL teams and Marine reconnaissance. It's, it's a, I don't know this, the percentage, but there's plenty where it's not an oddity. Like there's plenty of guys in that situation. Now, not as many guys going through training in that situation, but it definitely, it, it occurs. You're not a total freak. It's, there are others out there. Uh, but the interesting thing actually, which, uh, circles back kind of the, the book and fathering is I actually went to SEAL training and I got talked out of staying for the very same reasons you just mentioned, you know, like, Hey, you get out, make more money. It's safer. You're putting your life in harm's way. But why don't you get out and go into business? And I did, I actually went to SEAL training, quit and got out of the Navy. Hmm. And what happened was I was a year out from all of that, or maybe, uh, no, 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 this is when I actually made the transition. So maybe six, seven, eight months, I started to have like dreams, or I started to think about becoming, you know, being a SEAL again. And I was like, no, I got to do what's right for my family. And then it was one, it was a sunny day 
in in the where I grew up in Foster City, uh, and and I was staying at a family's house that I knew all my life, and I remember walking on their lawn, and it just hit me. I'm like, wait, the first thing I'm showing my kids, the first big thing I'm demonstrating them to to them is to give up on your dreams. And I instantly, I was like, nope, but done. I went right back into the Navy, joined the reserves, went back to SEAL training, and that's why. Mm. So yeah, it's dangerous. Yes, it was going to take me away. There's all of that stuff, but you know, parent, or kids, for the most part, a lot of what they learn is caught by what their parents do. And that was that moment. I'm like, man, I'm not going to show my kids the first, you know, you give up on your dreams. I'm going to show them you go for it and then you make it work. You, you have a video on your, uh, on your site. I checked it out. Um, and it talks about this, you know, pursuing our dreams is edgy. It's vulnerable. I think many guys would prefer this, this, um, being able to say, well, you know, I, I, I gave it up to become, you know, this noble reason to be a good father instead of actually saying, no, I went for it and I failed. Like they, they would rather have this kind of thing of like, no, look at me. I'm, I'm being a good dad by giving up on my, you know, by, by choosing the less risky path here. But for them, I think it's, it's more personal. Um, I think a lot of us are just scared to actually pursue our dreams. Whether we have kids or not, it's just scary. We don't want to fail. Um, and it sounds like that was, it was more rewarding or more purposeful, more meaningful, more important to say, I'm going to go for it no matter what. I, I want to set this example that's far more important than quote unquote playing it safe. Yeah, there's something called, you know, and I, I would tell my, I would call myself an expert at, uh, you know, competitive learning. And there's a term called confirmation bias, which means if you have something that you really don't feel like doing or you're scared to do it or whatever, what you'll do is look for every single reason around you to confirm you're biased. Mm. And I, I think that's what a lot of guys do because it's hard. Yeah. You know, if someone's like, Hey, if you could, if you could go back to being 16 years old, would you do it again? I'm like, hell no, hell no. Because I've been leaving it on the field this whole time. Like, I don't want to go through all that again. That was really hard stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah. So people try to avoid it and I don't, and that's okay too. <laughs> Here's the funny thing. I'm not one of the kind of raw, raw, like you got to go. My thing is just be honest with yourself. Like, you know what? Yeah, I do want to do that. And I have other commitments, but I don't want to do it enough to go through all that effort. And that's, that's okay. You know, mm. I'm not for me, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, I think God, I, I still, to this day, it's in the book too. There's a chapter called lead from the front. And I, I've just heard from too many dudes like, Hey, I'm going to sacrifice my health. I'm going to sacrifice time. I'm going to make money. I'm going to sacrifice, sacrifice so that my kid's life could be good. And that was a turning point for me. I was I was in that spot. I was like, wait a minute, I can't, how can I lead my kids to a good life if I myself can't live one myself? So whether it's living out your dreams, staying healthy, staying in shape, doing your hobbies, taking care of yourself, all of that, like we got to lead by example. Um, and not like as a cliche, like as in that's what your kids are going to probably end up doing. I, I'm glad to hear you say that. There's something relaxed in there because it's, it's, you know, for, for the guys that listen to this, they're into personal development, they're into personal growth, they're, they're already in this kind of self-competition. There's a shadow side to that, right? There's always that voice that says you could have do more, you, you always got more to grow, you're never quite there. It's that, I call it the personal development jackass, and I'm a card-carrying member, I can head down that road. Um, but, but I like that, just being honest with yourself and being able to show up that that might be the most valuable lesson instead of just creating bullshit either way, you know, whether it's it's uh, playing you know, too big for yourself or, or in trying to be something that you're not in front of your kids or selling yourself short. Does that make sense? Absolutely. There's only so I, in, in business. And when I'm doing strategy, I have a, a phrase, I, I'm like, there's what we should do. There's what we can do. And then there's what we will do. 
And the reason I say those things like, okay, yeah, what we should do is work out perfectly every day, never argue with our wives, take care of our kids, spend time. There's all the things we should do. Right. But life's real. Like, okay, I'm busy. I'm tired. So here are the things I actually can do. I can spend this much time. I can do this many things. I can actually do those things. But then I have a third level. Here are the things I'm going to do. Here's what I will do. And that to me is, it describes just what you said, that personal development jackass. It gives me that little bit of permission to be like, you know what? I can do this much. I can do more. But right now I'm choosing just to do this. I'm, I'm You know what I mean? And I'm not mm-hmm. making an excuse. I'm just saying, yep, I'm going to choose instead of giving it 100% today. <laughs> I'm going to choose to give 50 because I'm tired. But I, there's no excuse. I just chose it. Got and there's it. some power in choice. There's power in that. Uh, you know, when we talk about parenting, we talk about being a father. Uh, it's, it may be the most challenging and important role we ever play in our lives, but it's something that very few of us are actively going to train for. And I, I know that it's not something that I've actively trained for. I'm a, I'm a father of a six-year-old daughter. It seems like we're just going to kind of do what our fathers did, that uh, we're just going to kind of follow along. There's something in our programming already because we were fathered. I, I'm wondering, you talk about how we're coming up short for our kids by doing that, by just kind of going with the flow and, and doing what we've been told and doing what we experienced. Yeah. What we're running into, it's, I mean, it's like, if you look at philosophy or theology or anything like that, if you, if you were to take mankind's like, sur, if they were to surmise religion or anything based off a single generation, you're basically starting over and over every time, right? So you're never really getting anywhere. So by default parenting, when we default to like, okay, I was raised by my parents. Here's how my dad did it. Here's how my mom did it. And people go one of two ways. So I'm going to do it just like them. Or I'm like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing anything like they did. It's kind of reactive. It goes the other way. Yeah. Cause our parents weren't necessarily qualified in parenting and parenting was a lot more, it was, I'm not, it was simpler than two. There weren't so many things to say no to, like, you know, I'm 43 or this, we're the first generations of parents who have kids that are my, I have older kids that they had no technology, and now I've got my you know kids in elementary school where their friends have iPhones. It's there. It's much more complex. There's much more things out there getting at our kids' time and attention, shaping their behaviors. I mean, their behaviors are getting shaped by the marketplace, by the world. Um, so we've got to be better at it. And 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 really, when you when you mention training for parenting. Um, the thing that always pops into my head is like, what, what is training for parenting? And uh, there's a whole story about I have an attack dog and behavior science and all this stuff that really led me to this. But basically our job is behavior science for a, if a parent is going to train, they need to understand at a minimum, some elementary level of behavior science, because again, our job is to help identify what does make up a good life. And there are certain things that we can identify Ident, you know, assess them, prioritize them, and take action on them, and then live a good life, but show our kids how to do the same, which means we're shaping their behavior. Um, and yeah, people don't train. And a lot of parenting books, one of the reasons, too, I wrote the parenting books, are all these kind of pink and light blue, fuzzy face PhDs, and they're cool science and everything, but they never get into behavior science. They never, they never touch some of those basic fundamentals that are about shaping a human being's trajectory. So right. uh, yeah, that's the little training tangent, but that needs to happen for people. And it seems like a, that approach is more like, here's what you do. Here's all this doing, and these are these techniques. But I get a, a big theme in your book is look at who you are, because they're going to, that's what they're going to model is who you are as a man. Um, and if you've plateaued, if you've gotten soft, if you've given up on your dreams, if you've given up on yourself, then you're modeling that. Essentially, you're modeling that. And if you're full of shit and you're lazy, <laughs> they're going to learn that too, uh, is that fit that there's a difference between who you are versus what you do? Absolutely. That I mean, really, that's this that book has become that for me. That book is all about 
or that's what that's what I want it to be about. It's about the message of be, who you are. Be the person. Live a happy, healthy, good life so that you can lead your kids to do it. That's what it's all about. You got to do it first so you know what behaviors they need to be in. Right, right. I, I find so many guys have a really tough time owning when they don't know what to do. And this is one of those, one of those parenting is just going to be one of those places where you don't have the answers. It's going to be confusing and it's going to be confronting if you're a guy that thinks you need to have the answers all the time. You talk about this, you, you say this phrase a lot, chasing the bull a lot in, in, the, uh, in the book. And I'm, I'm curious what you mean by that. Can you, can you talk about chasing the bull? Yeah, it's a great way to summarize everything we're hitting right now, too. So in, inside of sniper school, or, or any sniper would would understand this term. And basically what it means is they're chasing the bullseye. And, and here's the quick, here's how that goes. So a sniper, will they'll shoot their target. Um, and the gun and the human body, they can shoot within a certain tolerance, meaning that at 200 yards, you know, they can keep their bullets in about a two-inch group. And at 500 yards, it would be about a, a 10-inch group, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. it'd be a, a 10-inch circle. They can keep their bullets there. Now, what happens is a sniper will miss the, the bullseye. And what they'll do, instead of saying, okay, what is it inside of my shooting program that went wrong? My body position, my breathing, my setup, you know, what is it internally that I did wrong? They'll tend to say, oh, something's wrong with my scope. And they go to make an adjustment and they they adjust the scope to move that bullet impact back into the bullseye. Well, guess what? They shoot again. And that shot that they missed because they weren't paying attention to their breathing or their body position or something that they could be causing, that they could be responsible for, now they corrected that, but they messed with their scope. So now the bullet misses down to the left or, or somewhere else off the target. Right. And they start this spin. And they're like, I've gotten on so many guys' guns. Uh, and we always call it like drilling nails in their coffin because we shoot steel a lot. And I said, well, if there's something wrong with your gun, let me shoot it. And then an instructor will get down and shoot it and hit repeatedly because we're controlling the internal things. We're controlling the things we're responsible for. We're not blaming the equipment. We're not blaming the scope. We're just making sure we're executing all the fundamentals. So this idea of chasing the bull, it drives people mad. And the con- like you can see it in healthcare. You can see it everywhere. Um, and they just never get it because they're always trying to click and change some adjustments and never looking at the fundamentals and getting those things right. Give us a, a specific example in in parenting, like where this has shown up, maybe in your life or maybe in, in somebody else's life where you've seen a guy chasing the bull when it comes to, you know, what he's doing with his kid. Um, I think the best, let me see if this fits. One of the things I talk about in the book is this idea that the punishment should fit the crime. And that's not true. This could be, I like, this is an example of chasing the bull. So Let's say uh, the child, I don't know, whatever it is, they, they stayed out too late with their car, they broke curfew, and the punishment should fit the crime. There's two obvious ones, right? Either boom, no more car, or boom, the curfew gets restricted. Something like that. Mm-hmm. The punishment is fitting the crime. So they execute something like that, and the kid goes through that ordeal, and then they continue to misbehave. And so then they think, okay, well, let me let me increase the punishment or let me try something else. And they're basically now they're chasing the bull. They're trying to change the kid's behavior. Uh, and they're, they're, this is where you start to see kids start to disrespect their parents because they start coming up with all kinds of wacky stuff and it, nothing's effective. Where if the parents understood behavior change, the punishment should only fit the behavior, right? The punishment should change the, the idea of punishment. They call it in, in the operant conditioning, BF Skinner, uh, psycho- uh, psychological world, they would call that positive punishment. 
Um, and that's that's not going to work. So when when you see parents chasing the bull is you see them trying all these different things that aren't behavior science. And I'm not trying to make this all about behavior science, but behavior science is the science of shaping behavior. And this is an example of how many parents right now are listening to this who've never even heard of B.F. Skinner or, BF, you know, or behavior science, much less read a book or trained in it. But this is where it all comes down to. But you'll see it. You'll see parents, They all they do is they yell more. They nag. They start nagging their kids. And then what you're doing is they're actually causing more behavior issues because of that. It seems like there's also, I, I, I've experienced this, I, I don't like to admit it, but um, uh, where there's a thing of like, I need to be the powerful one here. And, and if I don't feel like I'm powerful, I'm going to make myself even bigger and more uh, intimidating to try to have power over, to try and force in that situation, which makes me look like a fucking moron <laughs> when I'm dealing with a yeah. child, right? It's like, I'm, I've actually in a position of weakness in that place there, but it seems like at some point we let go of the objective here, which is to, to help modify this behavior and get on a positive track. And it's somehow, somewhere it becomes personal that this is about them being over me or something like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, something people, will, when they see me train and work with kids or anybody, they're always a little surprised how, I don't want to use the word soft, but how kind and patient I am. They're like, whoa, I thought, you know, like when I would coach soccer or you watch other guys coach soccer or football and they're screaming and yelling, they're trying to use force is what right. you just described. Right. And I'm coming back to now being a professional like a professional kind of human behavior guy as my time as a sniper instructor in sense, if my purpose is to have them perform uh, force and being overbearing and rough, that's not usually the most effective way to have someone perform. You need to meet somebody where they are and then move them from there. And usually yelling and stuff like that doesn't do it. Now, this is something actually we've been teaching to executives for years um, what you just described there is one of the things just what I was listening to there, which is very common, right, is a difference between power and force. So power is the ability to influence change. So when people understand that, like, okay, what is real power? Power is the ability to influence change. Now, force is different. Force means that you're having to apply pressure or coercion or something like that to produce the change, which means you're always going to have to be putting effort. Like people think mental toughness is the end all, the end game, it's really half the battle right? That's force. We want to work to create our definition of leadership that we teach is we want to work to create an environment where people make the right choices. So when you apply that to parenting, like, okay, how do I create an environment so that my kids make the right choices? Not so that I force them to. It doesn't mean sometimes we have to use a little bit of force in the moment, right? That does occur, but that shouldn't be our overall strategy. We want to be powerful. We want to influence change. We want to be able to affect their environment so that they make good choices. Right. That makes that yeah. make sense. Yeah, I love that. I, I love that conversation between power and force. I don't think a lot of us understand that, but one will exhaust you, right? If you're always forcing, if you're, if it's always about manipulation and coercion, you're always trying to find leverage over the other person. That's not a relationship, you know. And, and again, you're modeling like, oh, this is how people love one another. They manipulate one another. They push one another. They press. They they use guilt, like whatever that is. That's a that's not a healthy dynamic, and it's an exhausting dynamic, and it, it misses the point, which is to come back to making better choices. And I think, that, you know, another point in your book is like, give your kids an opportunity to experience the consequences of those choices. I think one of the chapters or one of the headings was like, take the training wheels off so they can eat shit. <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> it's like... Oh, I love it. Yeah, I'm glad I wrote that. I just heard that. I'm like, oh, I love that. Love yeah, <laughs> yeah, you wrote that. But, th but there is like, that's a big part of our learning is like, oh, she 
you know, our, our, our kids get to be the, the, the authors of the consequences. And if I'm a parent that doesn't want my, want my kid to be uncomfortable, so therefore I don't feel uncomfortable, then I'm going to create this world where they're soft and they don't, they don't actually deal with the obstacles and anything that might them feel discomfort. But what I'm hearing here is like what makes them tough, what makes them resilient, what makes them have better choices is when they understand and they've felt the consequences of those decisions. Is that right? Yeah, and I think I I don't I think this is a newspaper article I wrote this about or somewhere I've written this, but I use the analogy of an obstacle course and I think about the seal obstacle course. An obstacle course, somebody goes through an obstacle course so that they can develop the strength and skill and the toughness to get through it. Going through an I remember in seal training and as a seal, I can remember every time I'd go through that obstacle course, my hands would be a little stronger. They'd be tougher. You know, you get knocked around a little bit. And I always remember like, wow, this is really toughens me up. This really makes me capable. Now imagine a parent, imagine putting puppet strings on someone going through an obstacle course. And when something comes up, an obstacle comes up, if you lift them over with those strings, mm-hmm. if you don't let them bounce off the log, if, you know what I mean? If you always are lifting them over, what's happening is yes, you're helping them not experience the adversity in the moment, but what you're doing is you're robbing them of the skill and strength of development that they're gonna need in real life. That's the purpose of an obstacle course is to simulate the strength and skill you'll need in combat or on application. And that's what a lot of parents do. And you see this a lot of times with parents, um, and I'm, I'm not an expert here, but this is an observation. You'll see this a lot when parents, when some a kid's struggling with drugs or um, alcohol or something like that, a lot of times the parents aren't allowing the consequences to hit their kids. So they're never able to grow from some of the mistakes they're making. Um, and I'm a big believer that their life, their effort and skill set, and even their intellectual intellectual ability needs to be commensurate with their actual lifestyle. So if the kid doesn't have the discipline and the smarts to keep good grades in school and work a job so they could buy a car, then they don't have a car. And that's not about punishment or anything like that. That's just making sure that their life and lifestyle is commensurate with their skill, intelligence, and effort. And if you look at the world, if you look at everything around us, that really shapes a lot of things up right there. If if there's, if I was going to narrow parenting down to a single couple pieces of advice, I'd say, boom, I'll be consistent. Correct. Even if you don't, even if, hey, should I spank? Should I do this? Like, it doesn't matter. Just be consistent. Mm-hmm. You'll confuse the hell out of the kid if you're not consistent. Be consistent means when you're tired. Be consistent means when you don't feel like it. And make sure that their life is commensurate with their skills and effort. You do those two things right there, and I think you've got a baseline for performance, and your kids are going to live a happy life because they're not going to get overextended. Well, I'm not, it's not like a promise, but they're, you know what I mean? They're going to be used to living within their means. Right. Yeah, I, I just come across this. There are people that I talk to, especially younger guys, maybe in their 20s, that are just waking up to this. Maybe they've, they've lived in a, in a world where... Uh, they've had this mismatch between their effort and the skill that they've developed and what they expect from the world. And it's a magical world for them. And then there's this huge like punch <laughs> that comes in their 20s of like, what do you mean? I'm used to having a certain life that doesn't uh, that lines up with a certain level of skill and understanding and, and effort that I bring to the world. And, and then there's a, the harsh reality that comes at it once they're finally on their own. Yeah, it's. It, I had some tough lessons growing up. My dad was a Marine. My dad was a cop. <laughs> so I had, I, had a lot oh, yeah. of, like, I had a lot of... A lot of grounding exercises, I should say. Uh, <laughs> yeah, consequences, you know, <laughs> like, okay, con- my act, and that, it's empowering too, right? Like, okay, yeah, my actions produce real consequences. Some are good, some are bad, but I can, you, what happens is you develop the intuition of consequence. Like, okay, wait a minute, I'm about to do something 
And all my life, if my dad has been producing consequences, even if they weren't very skillful or psych, you know, if, if it wasn't grounded in real psychology, you would still know like, okay, I do something and e- it always equals something. Right. This comes next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. even, if, even if our dads were effed up, right? We're like, okay, let me give that some logic. And you know, where I learned this again, back in SEAL training, I'd see the D1 football players, the guys who are stud football players come into SEAL training. Mm-hmm. A lot of those guys were always the best on their Pop Warner. Then they were always the best at high school, and then they were good enough to go to you know play in college. And right. a lot, they're like, yeah, I'm always the best guy. I don't, you know, I don't fail. And they get to SEAL training. It doesn't matter how tough you are. There are a certain amount of push-ups you can do until you can't do anymore. And that's what SEAL training is. It's it's all. It's not about how many push-ups you do. It's about how many times you do push-ups until you fail. And that's where you'd see guys crumble all the time. They couldn't handle it. Like they- I don't know what to do here. They were protected from ever really reaching that level, that gear that, uh, of what it means to fail over and over again. Like, yeah, they never got to develop their adversity, their adversity muscle, that adversity, your ability to go through. Everyone always wants to overcome things. That's their problem. How do you over, it's even in our cultural language. How do you overcome the obstacle? Like you don't, you go right through that thing. Cause if you, it's like overcoming a weightlifting session, like, yeah, I skipped it. (laughs) Okay. Well, you're not any stronger. You talk about um, that you do this work. It's not just the, the parenting stuff that you focus on. You do this in executive uh, environments. What is that? Tell us a little bit about that, that work that you do there. Um, so we have a company. It's called uh, Sealed Mindset Leaders. And uh, for the last couple of years, we've been teaching what we call whole organization leadership to corporations. And, and what that means is we basically take a SEAL team and say, here's why we are so high functioning. We're high functioning because we believe that there are leaders and followers at every level. And we believe that if you train them on how to be a leader, like what is what are the roles of a manager, what are the roles of a leader, and what are the roles of what we call a hardcore follower, we, we show companies that that's going to be like rising the tide. You're going to produce a culture of excellent because, excellence because everyone at every level knows how to identify a gap and start to manage the change. That's basically leadership, right? Mm-hmm. So that's something we've been doing uh, for a couple of years now. Uh, well, I, I think one of the unique things that we do is we don't just stop with the what. And this is some this is to me one of the biggest training paradigm things I've taught, even as a sniper. This is the big my favorite one is the what like everyone knows what to do. Like if I asked a room full of unfit people what to do to get in shape, they would all an, they'd all have an answer. They'd say, Oh, you diet and exercise. Right. And if I asked that same room full of people, like, well, if you know what to do, why aren't you in shape? Why aren't you fit? And I mean, I mean with love, right? Like what what's going on? Mm-hmm. And they'd stare at me and I'd be like, Yeah, you got it. You don't know how. And how is a component of time, strength, and desire. And the time is more about organizing your life, but what's really interesting is strength, mental toughness, right? Mental toughness, we teach. There's eight tenets, you know, honor, courage, responsibility, innovation, respect. There are things that someone can learn that when they know what to do, what we say is like, okay, you might just not have the mental strength to do things that you don't feel like doing. Mm-hmm. So that's a big part of what we teach. We teach mental toughness, like a skill or a muscle saying, okay, now that you know what to do, hold people accountable, you know, do your sales calls, whatever it is, you know what to do. Now let's get you tough enough to do it. And then now back to the behavior science, we backfill with desire. Say, okay, you can't just use mental tough. This is where people go wrong. This is why people's life looks like an EKG machine up and down, up and down. They're like, okay, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to make more money. I'm going to get a better relationship. And they spike it. Then they're using mental toughness and self-discipline and they're forcing themselves to do the things they need to do. And then they're like, boom, what's going to happen? Fatigue. 
And then they shoot right back down and they start over again. Mm. So time, strength, and desire. So then we teach desire, like, okay, let's produce a situation where that what you must do is something that you desire to do. And that's a good life right there. It's like putting on a set of braces, a little uncomfortable at first, then pretty soon your teeth just want to stay straight right. and it works. Right. And w- what do we learn about that? W- if, if a guy was interested in one of these programs, wanted to bring it to his organization, where does he find out the information for that? The website is ericdavis215.com. Uh, so it's E-R-I-C-D-A-V-I-S-215.com, which is also my email, eric at ericdavis215.com. So they can either email me um, or my website's the best place. And uh, if you get on the mailing list on the website, that's where I'll make sure the information about the leadership and the performance training we do ends up getting to because we kind of have a list we keep there and we you know we send out people information on that when we do. Perfect. Uh, I recommend this book, Raising Men, Lessons Navy SEALs Learned from Their Training and Taught to Their Sons. Even if you're not a father... This is a great thing to just kind of have a virtual father. Like it's a, it's a it's a good, swift, loving kick in the ass. It, there's a really powerful message in here. Uh, I recommend it to all guys that are out there, even whether you're a father or not. Eric, thank you so much for talking today. Ah, thank you, Trip. It's been a pleasure, man. I appreciate it. If these interviews are helping you, then please visit the new man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.